Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Real As Feedback. I am Kieran Snyder, and I am here as always with Kim Scott and Jackie Clayton. This is where we have candid conversations about real performance feedback in the workplace. And we have some good stories to discuss this week. And we have some practical tips on how to prevent bias, prejudice, and bullying from masquerading as feedback. So, Jackie, Kim, how are you today? Well, I am doing great. Jackie, how are you? No, you've got a cooler story. You've got a much cooler story, Kim. I am doing okay, but Kim is doing great. I'm on spring break. My daughter and I met my sister and her two daughters and, uh, and her husband in Paris for spring break. So here we are. I cannot complain. We need to do like some cross-cultural conversation about feedback, I think, today. It'll be good. And we are here today with Miranda Nash. Uh, and I have known Miranda for a few years now. She is a group vice president of applications development and strategy at Oracle, focused on AI for SaaS, so kind of right up my alley. Uh, before that, she was an entrepreneur, also, by the way, founder in HR tech, uh, an engineer, an investor, a product manager. Um, Miranda, we are so excited to have you today. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much, Karen. Yeah, well, before we dive in, I thought we would talk about something that's pretty topical. So some of you know, I'm a huge women's sports fan. I'm a huge women's basketball fan. I've coached for like 30 years. I'm a way better coach than player. My 13-year-old is a really good player, much better than I've ever been. And we really have gotten into the NCAA competition. So y'all know where I'm going with this. I want to talk a little bit about the Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese conversation. So for those of you who don't know, if you're listening, the story here is these are two of the best women in the game from a you know, basketball standpoint. Uh, the final, as we have this meeting, the final has happened. LSU with Angel Reese won the game. But what is really interesting is the conversation that has happened, not about the game, but about the game behind the game. So Caitlin Clark, super player, 191 points in the tournament, highest of any gender ever. A couple of games back in the tournament, did a gesture and sort of waved her hand in front of her face, evoking John Cena, who's a wrestler. And the gesture means you can't see me. I'm so fast. You never see me coming. And the internet exploded with celebration, appreciating Caitlin's moxie, her attitude. A lot of people on the Caitlin Clark bandwagon. Well, jump to the final game. And Angel Reese, really clear, LSU is about to win the game. She does the same gesture. She points to her ring finger and the internet explodes again, but this time with criticism. Bad sportsmanship, not what the game's about. And there's so much in this story. I'd love to check in. Maybe let's start with you, Jackie. What do you see? What do you see in the story? Any, anything to highlight? It's such typical stuff, like not a shocker at all. I too am a big fan of uh, sports and basketball and women's basketball. I think the part that made me really upset was the lack of people calling that out. Like, first of all, understanding like trash talk in sports, that just happens 
I think we do a lot. We do trash talk at my house, you know, about like who can get to the mailbox faster. And it just made me think about these things are like cultural things. These are, there's different ways that people take that. And I was upset because I wanted people to speak up more about that in defense of the LSU player. And so that part was frustrating, but it was just so typical. It's just such a typical reaction to me, you know, that has happened to me several times. It's happened in work, out of work, where somebody like just assumed that something was aggressive. And I was like, I'm totally not being aggressive. That's a way of showing love where I come from or whatever. But it's like, if it, I wonder what, if, what would have happened if it was reversed, like the timing was reversed. Uh, if we would have seen somebody saying, oh, you're not, a, you're so rude and doing all these things, if it wasn't like so obvious they were going to win, then it was like really in your face. That's how I, I took it. I love that you say this is with love and not aggressive when you do it. When I do stuff like that, it's only aggressive, just to be clear, <laughs> only aggressive. But like, the, the thing, the thing that's the context in this story is that Caitlin Clark is a white woman. Angel Reese is a black woman. And there is obvious racism in the reactions to the two players. Like, I really think if you don't see it, it's because you're choosing not to see it. But I also think the fact that this is even a conversation is blatantly sexist, right? Male players showboat trash talk all the time and it doesn't even make the newsreel. It's not a conversation. I don't know, Kim, anything you want to add to the the story here? It was interesting as I was writing Just Work, my husband, who's a white man, sort of loved the book and was very appreciative. But at one point he said, just don't tell guys they can't give each other shit anymore. <laughs> I think, like, you're allowed to do that. And women are allowed to give each other shit, too. Like, and, and it can be a form of, of love, as you, you know, it's like, it's a way to tease each other. And, you know, there comes, there come, there's a line, of course, I'm talking, I've been talking a lot on this trip to my daughter, who's 14, about, about, that. you know, there's a line between teasing and bullying, but this seemed fully on the teasing, you know, fun side of that line to me. I don't know, but I don't know anything about sports, so uh, I shouldn't really talk out of turn. But you're right, though. It's silly with John Cena. It's like, you can't see me. We can obviously see you. Right. Well, the thing that strikes me in addition to all of these top level insights is that so Caitlin Clark's reaction after the fact, she was gracious. She told people to back off of Angel Reese. By the way, Jill Biden invited the Iowa team, Caitlin Clark's team, to the White House, even though they lost the game. And she's like, no way. Don't take the shine off of LSU. Very gracious. But she missed the opportunity to be a real ally here so far. Maybe by the time you're hearing this, she will have embraced the opportunity. She has millions of people watching my daughter's watching, her teammates are watching, a whole generation of girls, if Caitlin Clark would put her hand up and be like, y'all are being racist, the impact she could have and the allyship she could show is what we're doing here. Like this is DEI in real life. And so I wanted, it's a little longer than we usually start with for our preamble, but I think it's so applicable of the kind of feedback that women receive that black women receive, that women who are athletic and, you know, kind of competitive by nature tend to receive. It's just all of it in one happy package. 
I think there's another part of this as well, which is very often I find that men are eager to like create conflict between women where there isn't any, you know what I mean? And so very, I have found, I think we talked a little bit about this before, but very often I've been in a situation where I was working with another woman and I like this woman a lot. And the men around me are like, oh, they're like trying to create a fight. I'm like, what fight are you talking about? Like, I like this woman. <laughs> Stop it. And sometimes that happens too. Like it, sometimes it's not between the two women, but it's all the people around them. It is true. Well, congratulations to Angel Reese on your national title as a sophomore. Very exciting. Both of these players are going to be playing again next year. So as a fan. That's amazing. Pretty excited about that. Go ahead, Kim. You're exactly right. We got to call out the racism. I mean, she should call out the racism in this. Like, it, yes. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get real. We're so excited to have Miranda with us. And before Miranda shares her story that we're going to chat about, if you have a story that you want to share, you can drop us a note at my story at realasfeedback.com. We will not disclose any identifying information about you. So it is okay to get real with us. So with that, Miranda, we would love to hear a little bit from you. Um, what we love to do is talk about a piece of feedback you received in your past that was really impactful to you. And it could be a piece of feedback that was the right feedback, the right time, very beneficial to you and your career, or maybe an experience with biased feedback that didn't help you at all. So we'd love to hear your story. There's one bit of feedback I got kind of in the middle of my career that it actually haunted me for years and eventually has become valuable, but was very, very haunting, like I said. And the words at the time that were used are, and they, they kind of echo in my head, you're not technical. Oh, I love this one. <laughs> And I've gotten a computer science degree from Stanford and I worked as an engineer and I was now a director of development and I wanted to take on more responsibility and being a manager, growing in my career, et cetera. And the feedback from my manager and from his manager and from his manager and his manager, and it was always a mantra, you know, and it would follow me around. You're not technical. And so that was the rationale for why I got steered in another direction, which was, in my perception, less lucrative, less influential. And I've had reflections since then, but how you guys have heard this before, obviously. You all have heard this before. This, you know, I didn't even know. As soon as you said it, I was like, oh, you like take me back into trauma. Like, I didn't know this was a thing until I worked at Microsoft where again, I was a PM side, I was a product manager and how technical you were or not was like some kind of, it was viewed as some kind of like validation of your worth as a human, not just as a professional. And also what it meant was totally unclear. Like, did it mean you could write code? It didn't mean that because a lot of women who were called not technical could write plenty of code um, so yes, you're like, so how, how, what were the circumstances under which you heard the feedback and what did you do with it? Well, so I heard it again, kind of in 
performance reviews, but also in more casual settings. It, like I say, it was kind of just a mantra. And at the time, it definitely felt like bias. And I, I really internalized it. I got very resentful, honestly. And finally, over time, as I, as I kind of let go a little bit, one thing I learned is that it turned out a lot of men were actually getting the same feedback. Not everyone, but this is to your point, Karen, like, what does it even mean? And over time, I figured out it kind of meant like a synonym for like, kind of arrogance, essentially. And there were a lot of men who didn't display it. And they were hearing the same thing. And it was so, but I didn't want to tell anyone it was embarrassing. So it took me a long time to figure that out. So Miranda, what they meant was you're not arrogant enough, not that you're not technical enough? Blustery enough, not, you know, kind of, uh, yeah. Not, yeah. Exactly. Chest beating enough, perhaps. Yeah, I think. But it also, one other thing, I, I wonder what your thoughts are on this. It made me reflect more on the feedback givers eventually over time than on the feedback receivers. Is this also a theme you, you all have seen before? Yes. I mean, the not technical enough thing. I mean, I, I studied Slavic literature, so I truly am not technical enough. But, but I, have, I have noticed this happen to women who are plenty technical enough over and over and over again. There was one woman at a, at a great company, and she was a product leader and an engineer by training. And she kept getting this feedback and I was, and she came to me and she said, what do you think about this feedback? And I said, I think it's complete bullshit. Like, what do you want me to tell you? And I helped her escalate and there was, but there was no resolution of it. And eventually she wound up leaving that company and going to a company that was growing even faster and becoming the chief product officer. <laughs> like, and, you know, you know, and now who's not technical enough, but she really she did not want to leave her company. But it was the, the unfortunately, the only way the only way to combat it was to get a different job. Jackie, what do you think? Like, I'm in particular curious when you see a manager, maybe that you work with on the, the DEI side, assess that they only want to hire somebody, quote unquote, technical, because this this happens how do you help them unpack that so that it ends up really uncovering what they're what they're hoping to attain with the person they're working with or hiring? Well, the question is always, so what does that look like? Let's talk about technical. What does that look like to you? Because that is such an ambiguous term. We need to get more specific in order for us to be able to recruit for this role. I need really specific things. So what does technical look like? And usually they don't have an answer or then or we'll break it down into the various steps, like this many years of experience. And, and then I still push and say, what is three years of experience look like? What is it like two years of progressive management at a bank company look like? Like, let's take all of these things away. And if this person had these various things, would you still want to hire them? Because what I found is, so when I was a business analyst, part of the reason I became a business analyst is because I was too talkative, bright and bubbly to work with the coders. I wasn't technical enough, which translated for me was like, 
I, at the time, this is, you know, I don't want to date myself. This is like pre 2000s. So that meant that I didn't work in a quiet room drinking coffee and just sit there and code all day. I was like, hey, look at this code. <laughs> you know, like, look what I did. And they're like, you don't belong in tech and became a business analyst. But then love the technology. And it was still that same piece. So I always push to see what does that look like and try to get a translation myself so that we can actually reveal bias without pointing fingers. Like I always say, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, just going to go through that exercise and try to get more specifics. Yeah. When I observed this feedback and I was a PM, it often meant can you go toe to toe with engineers? Can you write an API specification? That was like the ultimate, that's how you know you're a technical PM. And I saw this woman I worked with who was, you know, again, she had a master's in computer science. She'd been an engineer for 10 years. She became a PM. But when I worked with her, she was a little bit older than the rest of the team. She was probably my age now, right? She's probably like in her, in her mid forties. And her manager talked about her as not super technical, which was laughable. And when you sort of uncovered what that meant, it meant that she wasn't a loud personality sort of standing up to the predominantly male engineering team. And he had this great development plan for her. We're going to prove that you're technical by having you write an API spec. And it was so patronizing. I was like, would you like to look at the history of work I've done over the last 20 years, manager, right? Like, and it turns out what, what they were looking for was behavioral signs, not technical capabilities, which, you know, by the way, like in inside text deal, if somebody gave this kind of uh, feedback, we'd be like, where are the examples? Like, show me the receipts because you have to uncover what is really meant by it. And by the way, you know, the, the real problem is, well, there's a lot of real problems, but another real problem, there's layers of problems to this. And what they really mean is you're not aggressive enough. But of course, as a woman, if you are aggressive, then you get punished for that. So it's like, it's like bias all the way down. It's like turtles all the way down. You just can't, you can't ever get out from under it, except you can. So you, you are a really accomplished senior person in your career now. You've clearly had a technical career. What do you do if somebody earlier in career comes to you and says, I've been told I'm not technical enough? What do I, you know, if you're offering sort of the mentoring advice, how do you approach that? Yeah, I mean, the, what I didn't do at the time, which I, I would ask others to do is ask questions. You know, I just took it all in and blamed it all on myself. I didn't ask follow-up questions. I didn't ask what, like Jackie said, what that means. What would that look like? What could I do? You know, or even have the thought to give counter examples. You know, I just totally internalized it. And so that would be part of my advice. And then where that came from perhaps and what I've kind of learned from that experience, which in a way, bizarrely I value, is just the ability to not be defensive now. And pretty much no matter what the feedback is, no matter who it's from or how biased or whatever, it doesn't hit me at the core like it did at that time in my career. You know, and how do you develop that? That's, I don't know, and help people do it without having to go through so much 
trauma. It, and it really is traumatic, I think, that that kind because it does it does it's like an attack of your of your skills. Well, it's attack in this case in a coded way, maybe of your personality, masquerading as an attack on your skills. Yes, it's bias masquerading as feedback. Exactly. Well, Miranda, that was a really good story and I think will probably resonate with a lot of people who have worked in technology environments, whether they've heard that feedback themselves or not. I had this like sinking feeling in my stomach of recognition as soon as the words just came out of your mouth with your story. And I think that's probably going to happen for lots of people. There's some really good advice uh, from an, an engineering director at Google who's, who's a, a black man. I'm going to mispronounce his name, Mecca Oreki. I'll send, you, I'll send you a link to it. But he talks about uh, finding a difficulty anchor. And he said, when you're underrepresented along any dimension in tech and you're working on something, very often if you're underrepresented and you achieve this thing, no matter how difficult it is, people are like, oh, that was an easy problem, <laughs> you know, because this person solved it. And so he, what he recommends is going to someone in the organization, uh, ideally someone who's overrepresented and, and who's respected for their engineering chops and asking them for some advice on this problem. And then when you solve it, this person will say, oh, that was a hard problem, you know? And so it, you shouldn't have to do that, but it was very practical advice on, on how to kind of get out from under this uh, sort of uh, underestimation of underrepresented folks in tech. I love that. Well, if you are listening and you have a story you want to share, we would love to hear it. Again, we won't disclose any identifying information, but drop us a note at my story at realasfeedback.com. And we have a good story today that I'm going to read. And when I say story, it's more like a question. This is somebody who's looking for advice. And I think it's a really common scenario. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read it. And then I'd love to hear... Maybe we'll start with Miranda, what you think uh, on this story, and then we'll, we'll hear from others as well. So here's how it reads. I'd love your tips on how to share my personal experiences of bias publicly on LinkedIn when the former leader or leaders follow me and frequently engage with my posts. For example, the boss of my boss in a former role provided feedback in my quarterly review that I, quote, challenge authority even when it has nothing to do with me. As a black woman, this feedback didn't sit well with me, especially when no specific examples were provided. I'd like to tell the story without naming the leader or the company for the benefit of others, but I hesitate when I think of this person seeing the post. So this is somebody who has rich experience to share and is nervous about sharing it because of potential blowback. So Miranda, let's start with you. Any any thoughts, reactions, advice? You're better in social media than I am, Karen, that's for sure. And I feel like I am more private than the world demands now. So my reaction may not be the best social media advice. What I would think is make do a gut check to see if you yourself feel really personal about this or if you can share it in a more kind of detached way which gives you some space and then allows other people to see your words in a better better light, I think. And if, if you can get that little bit of distance, share it. 
Yes, people need to know about this and share their experiences and and change things through that. Yeah. Jackie, what's your take? Jackie's also, by the way, like a social media superstar. And so I'd, I'd love to hear what you think. You are. <laughs> Follow her. Well, the first, the first thing that makes me laugh is that Karen's my boss, right? So I can if I can talk about what happened yesterday, it literally happened yesterday. And she knows what it is. Sometimes I feel like it's like my dad was a reverend. It's like the PK. And I look at Karen's post, I'll be like, ooh, was that me? I think that was me. But but as I've gotten older, right? It's like, I recognize personally, I'm creating space for other people. So I'm going to talk about it. I might not say Jesse at Acme Brick, but I'm going to say, I received this feedback. This is what the impact was. This is what I make a suggestion in the future, because I feel at this point, I owe it to other people that might have to work for that person, right? That they don't do that to someone else. It's, it's making sure that... You know, I just kind of go for it. And if the person does react defensively and comes back, it's more like, I'm so glad you recognized yourself in that. Yes, that was real. That's how that made me feel. This has been the impact. I'd love to talk to you more about it. Or thank you for teaching me that lesson. And that's the other part where there is a way of saying this was something and it was really horrible, but moving forward, it allowed me to find the best job ever, right? Like it, you can frame it as a lesson learned through that experience, right? You know, hopefully there was a lesson learned and you were able to find success moving forward. I think that gets a little bit to Miranda's point about just having a bit of distance so that you can share your experience in a way that is beneficial and helpful to others. Because I think there's there's also, by the way, real value to processing your experience while it's fresh. You have the right to your feelings and you might do that in different mediums with people that, you know, you know, unequivocally you have a trust relationship with. So I, I do think that you may share differently at different stages of distance from the thing that happened to you. I, uh, some of, some of you know this, Jackie certainly knows this. When I was uh, eight months pregnant, I had a manager who I thought I had a pretty good relationship with who gave me a great performance review. I was expecting a promotion and he told me I wasn't getting the promotion and I came to terms with it. And then as I was getting ready to walk out the room, he said, hey, I just got to be really honest. You deserve this promotion. I couldn't get it through because we want to see how you come back from parental leave. And it was a huge... Um, huge. And I, by the way, I took my good review and I left the room, which, you know, is not a thing I would do today or advise other women to do. But I have told that story in public a lot of times. Now, I didn't speak about it at all for three years after it happened. And I'm still connected to this person who was my boss. And at some point, he reached out to me and he was like, hey, I knew that wasn't good when it happened but I had no idea how bad it was for you that I discussed it that way. And like, I really appreciate you sharing that. And also maybe not name shaming me in public when you shared it, that was really generous because you could have gone a different direction. And so I, I have like confronted this scenario with somebody that I still know professionally. Right. And I, I was actually really appreciative at how he received it because that could have gone a different direction too. Kim, what's your take? 
It is really, I would be shocked if this person read what you wrote, what, what, the, what the person wrote and recognized themselves. I mean, I, I struggled with this enormously when I was writing Just Work. And I decided, you know, the point was to help people figure out how to do better and not to name specific people. So I didn't name anyone in the book and no one has recognized themselves, <laughs> not a single person. And uh, as far as I can tell, and, and even, even in, in Radical Canner, there are a few stories I told and I wanted to sort of change the names just to protect people's privacy. And when I changed the names, often I would change the gender. And that's the like, <laughs> nobody will recognize the person if you change the gender. It's unbelievable. Sometimes it's difficult to, name, to change the gender. But people really, like even there was, I worked at a small company and there was a person who I told a story about. And, and it wasn't a bad story, especially, but I didn't want people to recognize this person. And so I went back and I gave a talk with five or six people from that company. And, and I just, I told the story and about this person and nobody recognized, even though they all knew the story. And I said, do you know who that was? Nobody knew who it was just because, so just change gender. And then, <laughs> and then the person will never recognize themselves. But even if you don't, even if you just change the name to Joe Blow, it's surprising. People don't, people I would say, tell the story. You would say, tell the story. In other words, there's very little, very little downside that this person is even going to notice. And even if they do notice, especially if they're somebody who has continued to engage with you, I'm assuming you no longer work together, but there's someone who's continued to engage with you respectfully means they might care what you have to say. And you do have maybe an opportunity to not just sort of warn other people about the scenario, but maybe there's even value for the person to improve and how they, they treat others. That is not a writer's responsibility, but it may happen, right? And so I, I really appreciate that scenario. Yeah, and, and for a number of, of stories I told in Just Work, I went and talked to the person before publishing the book and told, you know, said this is the story. And they, and nothing terrible happened. They're like, oh my gosh, I didn't understand. It's sort of like your story, Kira. Yeah. We don't have a second story, but we have a second sort of mini snippet that I will just touch on before we wrap up for today. Cause I think it's pretty common. And this is somebody who is sharing some feedback that they received. I I'm taking it from a manager and really simple. The feedback is you're doing great work, but no more calling out risks. Just smiles from here on out, okay? Uh, so the whole vibe is just positive vibes only. And the thing I'm most curious about with the story, we all know the reasons that's terrible leadership, right? Like if you make it unsafe for people to share risks, your projects will definitely fail, right? No doubt about it. But the thing I'm most curious about is if you are hearing this feedback, you're the recipient of this feedback, what do you do? What do you do? Like we, we know the advice we'd give to the person giving the feedback and be like, yeah, your team's going to fail. But what do you do if you hear this feedback? Polish up the old resume. You got <laughs> No, I'm not saying quit. I think you want to make sure that you know where the you, you want to locate the exit. I'm about to get on an airplane. You want to locate the exit nearest you. And then you want to 
go talk to your boss and say, this is like, this is, I don't think you meant this the way that I'm taking it, but, and, uh, but, but first make sure you have a place to land, um, or, or you have some alternative, you know, if you can afford to take a few months off or whatever, because you can't work for someone. Well, you can, and sometimes we have to, we all have to, but if you can possibly avoid working for someone who's actively refusing to solicit feedback from you, uh, you should, you should get out. I don't know. What do you all think? Good times and bad times, right? And there are good circumstances and bad circumstances to share risk or less good. So maybe, you know, again, the follow-up questions, what would be the right circumstance? And, you know, assume that they didn't mean never all smiles all the time and like, Try to find that path, right? I don't know. That's how I would probably handle it. Yeah, the sort of inquiry into, so if I see that something is likely to break or something is going sideways, what's the right place and channel for me to surface that to you? I think is always a great follow-up question that uh, because I, I think it is only the far fringe, most toxic of people who would say, I really only ever want to see happy feedback from you, right? It's like the definition of toxic positivity and even very toxically positive people probably wouldn't commit to it to that extreme. Exactly. You never, you know what the name of the, of the conference room that uh, Mark Zuckerberg has all his meetings in is? I wonder how that room's gone in the last couple of years. Very quiet, very quiet. <laughs> They're going to have to rename it. I think, you know, in thinking about what, Something that I try to do now is like I, I heard what you said. Let me tell you what I but what I felt that I heard. Because it's like I understood that you said like all positive. But what I actually took from that is if something's bad, you don't care about that. And that can't be true. Right. So it's like how you're like going back to how was I supposed to say those things? Because there's times where I recognize years of therapy and medication has brought me to this point where I'm like, I know you said this, but let me tell you what I heard. I heard you say you are stupid. I know that's not what you said, but that's what I heard. Right. That's wrong. Right. So let's can we can you say that in another way so that I can understand it better? We sound so mature. We have so many good ideas. I'm so curious to do a show with like our deepest, closest loved ones. And they'll be like, let me tell you what they're really like when they get feedback. Todd, but my husband would love to. Kim, like your 14 year old, get my, get my middle schoolers on. I think that would be. Oh, let's do that. Let's do a show with our, with our teenagers. It'll be, it'll be radically candid. With our middle schoolers, it'll be illuminating. It's true. Well, again, please share your stories with us. We'd love to chat about them. My story at realasfeedback.com. They don't have to only be terrible stories. If you had an amazing feedback story that positively impacted you, really accelerated your career, we'd love to hear those too, because we want to have models of what good looks like. Uh, the more we talk about this, the better opportunity we're going to have to see change. Um, Miranda, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a real pleasure to hear your story. And uh, I think we'll sign off for now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone.